Welcome, and thank you for tuning into the Graceland Church Podcast. Our mission is to follow Jesus and love our neighbor for the good of the city. How incredible was that? Can we just thank God again for that beautiful baby dedication, that beautiful song? Thank you for blessing us. What an honor to have that here, both family. We love you guys. That song is a perfect setup for a short message I'd like to share before we close today. We're ending a series called Navigating Relationships. We've talked about how in Christ, we have a new relationship with God. In Christ, we have a new relationship with ourself. We have a new relationship with others. We talked about marriage and parenting and dating and singleness. We talked about a new relationship with our circumstances. And today we're gonna close it with a message called a new relationship with the end times, or you could say a new relationship with the future. You guys know that our world seems to be increasingly filled with wars fear, pain, and anger. And the question is, how do we respond as followers of Jesus? And I'm happy to let you know and just point very clearly to five commands from Jesus about the end times. Scripture actually tells us that what's going on in the world and the increase of sorrow, Jesus says, is like birth pains for the coming age. So it it is leading up to the return of Christ, the King is coming, and a new age. What will come after that, which will culminate in new heavens and new earth. And I don't know about you guys, but um, I have coached my wife through four births because she asked me to be her coach. One of them is right here and laughing at me. We did that to varying levels of success with the four births, I would say. In fact, the fourth one, our our son Clay, who's five, was born here in Nashville right after we moved here uh, from California. And we went in thinking she was close to labor, but I knew we had a little bit of time left. I'm, I'm preparing to coach her again. Partially, we're thinking it's our fourth. What's the big deal? This is just like in and out. Come on, let's go. But I got there, and, and I'm thinking, she's not quite ready to go yet. Let me just get a few hours of shut-eye, so I took a sleeping pill. Yeah. See, you guys knew. You knew. I thought I was serving her by doing that. Um, wouldn't you know, just a little bit after I take it, she basically starts going into labor and like we're full on. And, and Clay, my son, I actually caught Clay. He's the only one of the kids that I caught. And I just wanna say, I mean, I know my wife did the hard work that day, but I caught my son while on a sleeping pill. <laughs> I didn't drop him. It was not a great move. Still a beautiful birth. I remember our first one, Novi. My wife wanted to give birth without drugs, which I really disagreed with. I'm thinking if I'm giving birth, I'm taking everything they have, literally. She's saying, I'd like you to just be my coach and help me not take drugs. I'm like, all right. And so I got trained on it. We went in, and this is, you know, like 14, 15 years ago now. And her first, you know, measure of contractions were bad, but she seemed to get through it pretty well. And I remember both of us looking at each other, and and she actually said, and I agreed, oh, it's not that bad. And I'm thinking, oh, wow, my wife is just extraordinarily strong because she's kind of like talking to me still through her contractions. Um, wow, this is amazing. And then we realized, oh, there's, there's a key piece that still has to happen, and that is they had to help her water break. Um, and then for those with experience, uh, things like ramped up a little bit more extreme, and it did get to the point where she was facing levels of pain she had never faced before. And that's not to scare any future moms out there. Um, <laughs> But she was, and you don't have to do it without drugs. That was just her. You could just be sitting there in peace. <laughs> she, she, she was um, following through with her plan, and I was coaching her. And anyone who has seen that pain, the kind of pain uh, that 
lets you know there are levels of pain you haven't even thought of yet. Again, not trying to scare you. It makes more sense of something like this that Jesus says. He says, all these things that we're gonna read about in Mark 13 and, 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 and lift these five commands directly from, he says, are the beginning of birth pains. Now, something is coming extraordinarily hopeful, new life, eternity, a guaranteed future with him, uh, but there will be pain. And so what we're gonna look at is five really practical, practical commands from Jesus on our response in these end times, believing that we've really been in the end times for thousands of years now. This is all part of the end times culminating in the return of Christ. So let's start in Mark 13 when Jesus gives something called the Olivet Discourse. He gives this in three of the gospels and it's really a prophecy of the destruction of Jerusalem, but also, which was gonna happen soon uh, back then, but then also a prophecy of the age to come and what would happen leading up to that. And he's really having like a huddle moment. You know how sports teams will huddle before they execute the play? This is like a huddle moment on the Mount of Olives with Jesus and some of his closest disciples overlooking a valley and then Jerusalem is riding over, right over there and he's prophesying about the future and it applies to us today. So let's read starting in verse three. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he and will deceive many. So the first principle in your notes today, and it'll be on screen, and think of it as a declaration while we are in a huddle with our coach and our King Jesus is this. This is a declaration for us in the end times. Number one, we won't be deceived. We will walk in truth. I want you to de declare that to yourself, but then we have to look at practically what that means. Jesus said, watch out that no one deceives you. Many, he says, not just one or two or three, many will come in my name, he says, claiming that they are him and they will deceive many, not just one or two or three, but actually deceive many. Now note, he's not just saying they will claim to be Jesus. They might also be saying they claim to represent Jesus and Probably you can think of things you've seen out there, uh, whether in person or on television or on social media of people that are claiming to be Jesus. And you're like, whoa, what are you even, what are you talking about, right? And, and, and hopefully, number one, in making sure we walk in truth is that you cling to God's word. Our pastor emeritus was just passionately talking about this as his grandson quoted from scripture. He's always had this heart and I've adopted that heart for myself uh, that, that we have to teach kids God's word. You know how much quicker you can learn when you're a kid than when you're an adult? And then us adults, if we want to not be deceived, which we should take as a real warning from Jesus, and I'm not saying we should have a spirit of fear about it. We're gonna talk about that in a minute. But we should have a reverential fear, a respect that, that deception is out there and the enemy is a good deceiver. That's what he does. His native tongue is lying. And he tries to get us to think all kinds of twisted things about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords so that we will perhaps maybe fall away and be deceived and run a different direction and maybe even denounce him. And maybe you've been tempted to do that. Maybe you're in that spot right now. Well, you'll have a chance today to cling to the truth. So commit to the word, commit to following Jesus, commit to being filled with the Holy Spirit, commit to church family and commit to submitting to healthy leadership. And I don't just mean church leadership. I mean, there needs to be people in your life that are healthy, mature followers of Jesus that can correct you. Is anybody with me? A lot of people spend a lot of time trying to be uncorrectable. 
We are tempted to set ourselves up as being on the throne of our own lives, which is idolatry. Jesus is on the throne of our life, and he will put people in our lives to submit to so that we will not be deceived, right? Because we will try to convince ourselves of things that are wrong. We will try to justify our own sin. We, if, if, you, if you sense in yourself trying to change anything about God's word, you're, you're flirting with deception. So we won't be deceived. We will cling to the truth. Reading on in verse 7. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. We all have been following closely what's happening in the Middle East, like literal terror and war and evil and death and brokenness. Our world is filled with wars and rumors of wars. And notice what Jesus says. He says that will happen. He says it will increase because this is just the beginning of birth pains. But look at what he says right towards the middle of verse seven. Do not be alarmed. That's what he says to the followers of Jesus. And I just want to bring kind of a pastoral shepherding clarification. And it's number two in our huddle this morning. We don't live in fear because we know how the story ends. Scripture is so clear that we are not called to live with a spirit of fear. Not to derail us from spiritually talking about the end times, but just bear with me for a second and don't judge me. But me and my family just finished watching all nine episodes of Star Wars. It was amazing. We had to, there's a few little scary parts where we, where we like, kind of like covered the littles. Um, so again, don't judge me, but I, I love the story arc. We were exposing them to, in my opinion, a great piece of art and American culture. And I, and, and we're te- but here's the thing. There were multiple times where, let's just say Clay and Nessa, my two youngest, for instance, were like, oh no, are there gonna be any more Master Jedi? Is the force extinct? Is good gonna be defeated? Is there any more hope? And I'm watching them feel the tension they're supposed to feel in the story because it's brilliant writers, but I know there's still Master Jedi. Yoda's still hiding in the woods somewhere. He's gonna train Luke. There's still Rey, and I'm giving spoilers. There's still Rey, and Rey's gonna be adopted as a scout. I mean, this is amazing. I'm watching them. You know what I'm basically saying to them? Hey, just watch, son. Just watch, daughter. Just hang on. Hang on and just see what's gonna happen. You know why? Because I know how the story ends. Right? So I think sometimes, silly example I know, but our heavenly father must look at us as sons and daughters of the king who know the book, who have a guaranteed future, who know where we're headed, where we're headed, but we get bogged down with really a spirit of fear and kind of terror and we get so tied to the news cycle and, and we feel, get filled with anxiety. I am pastoring so many people through tons of anxiety attacks and depression and brokenness and heaviness and weight and a lot of it is around fear about what's gonna happen in the future, fear about our country, fear about our world and I feel like our heavenly father who knows the end would just say, hey, just hold on a second, I got this. Like I know where we're going. Like he, he, the whole world is in his hands, everything. Now, it doesn't mean we shouldn't think soberly about these. We're looking at warnings from Jesus, but scripture says he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power of love and a sound mind. So if you sense that spirit of fear in you, I believe it's something we have to actually repent of. Like say, Lord, I turn away from a life of fear. I, I wanna live a life of faith. It really comes down to what you're feeding. Are you feeding the fear or are you feeding the faith? Are you feeding the anxiety or are you feeding the peace, right? Remember the age old thing? There's two dogs in you, whichever one you feed the most is gonna win. 
So let me just ask you, which dog are you really feeding? It takes effort and intentionality to feed our spirit. We don't live in fear. We know how the story ends. Reading on in verse nine. You must be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. So obviously things are getting intense. There's some heavy predictions here. I wanna bring your attention to verse 10. I shouldn't use the word predictions. These are prophecies from Jesus talking about what will happen. Verse 10 says, and the gospel must first be preached to all nations. And we see in scripture that there is this connection between the return of Christ and the gospel being preached to all nations. That means every person in every corner of the entire world. And another scripture says that God is not slow in keeping his promise. Like if you find yourself wondering, why hasn't Jesus come back yet? What's he doing? Maybe this isn't true. It says right in scripture, God is not slow in keeping his promise. He is just patient, wanting all to come to repentance. Meaning he wants to give as long as possible for every single person on the planet to know him, period. And so here's a principle in our huddle this morning. Number three, we won't be quiet. We will preach the gospel to all nations. And I say we because it's we. It's not just me as like a professional Christian. It's you, the people of God. You are a kingdom of priests. You are sons and daughters of the most high God. And he's called you, you, to preach the gospel to all nations. He has sent you to exactly where you are. He may wanna send you somewhere else. If God calls you somewhere else from here, we're gonna send you and bless you. If God calls you into some foreign mission field, we're connected with the assemblies of God. We can get you trained, equipped, and sent. There is some connection here to, yes, we preach the gospel because we love people, but we also preach the gospel because we want Jesus to come back. I want all things to be made new. I want a new heavens and a new earth. I wanna see him as he fully is. I wanna walk with him. I, I've had glimpses in my walk with the Lord of what can only be, I'm not saying I've seen heaven, but what can only be like the heavens. You know, and I feel like I've tasted uh, of his manifest presence like that. Truth be told, I long for it. Long for it. Anybody else? I try, when, I, when I'm talking to people that are dealing with suicide, one of the things I'll encourage them with is suicide oftentimes, sometimes there's mental illness and different chemical things, but oftentimes it's someone trying to find a way to completely check out of the system of the world because it just, it doesn't work for them. I wish I could just check out completely. I have empathy for that. I've felt that way before. I have empathy for it and I'm thankful that God's given me that. And it's like, I, could I just check out of everything? But here's what I've come to believe as a Christian. Let, let's, let's rework that desire Let's rework that desire because what repentance means is checking out of the system of the world that's not working for us, the wrong way of thinking, coming into a brand new way of thinking that is the kingdom of God and longing for the complete fulfillment of everything in our heart and everything we've been created for in a new heavens, new earth, new body, new life. So let's flip that desire on its head and say, how do we, how do we approach that from a posture of hope? Have you heard about Jesus? Have you heard about the kingdom? Have you heard about new life? Have you heard about hope that can't be killed? And then it, it changes the vision for our whole life too. It's not trying to figure out how to make this life work because everything's so hard. It's about sharing that same hope with everybody else. You guys tracking with me on this? You are meant to preach the gospel. So let me just encourage you to make this pre-decision. You've probably been in these situations already. I'm in situations like this often. 
If you're ever with someone, family member, friend, coworker, boss, neighbor, or somewhere else in the world, and you feel scared to share the gospel, you feel scared to talk about the hope you have in Christ, that's the time to share it. That's the time to decide ahead of time, I'm gonna share this now. I've done that with so many, like it starts in school. So many kids in school, so many family members. I have lots of friends and family members um, that think I'm nuts and crazy or, or bigoted, right? Or all kinds of attacks that come against you for just trying to share the good news of Jesus. Now, you know, I remember when we were planting in Los Angeles a church and we were in our first venue, it was a, a theater called Magicopolis, a magic theater on 4th Street in Santa Monica. And there were literally paintings of like demons and spirits on the walls. There was an open bar that was a requirement for us meeting there. Crazy environment. But we were gonna go there and like launch our church. And I was also teaching uh, music, uh, songwriting, guitar and piano to kids in the area. And it was a great open door for relationships and provision. And I had them, all those kids come to a big concert at Magicopolis with our, our church planning band before this church event. I told them, I have two back-to-back events. You don't have to stay, but you're welcome to. So all of a sudden, I had my first big event I'm 26 years old, Jess is 22. We have little one-year-old Novi. We have a team of 10 other young adults there with us that moved from Pennsylvania. We're like, all this going on, it comes to this moment. I now have a room full of people, uh, most of which that don't know Jesus, many of which are Jewish in their culture, some practicing as a religion, most of which are very successful like entertainment lawyers, directors, producers, and writers. And I stood behind that stage and it was the first time I was ever terrified to preach the gospel. I shouldn't say the first time. It was the first time standing at a pulpit, if you can call it preaching at the Magic Theater or pulpit. <laughs> I felt nervous many times in one-on-one conversations. I'm thankful, and I just said to God, all right, Lord, I hope these people don't think I'm trying to hate them. I hope they don't think I'm spitting on their culture. I hope I don't lose all my clients. I hope they don't yell and walk out. I hope they don't think I'm abusing their kids. I hope they don't think I've broken their trust. You get what I'm saying? Like mine just going crazy. I don't mean to overly talk about that. It's just an example. And I'm thankful that I just said, all right, Lord, I guess I'm just gonna do it. <laughs> and so I did it. And we had, we had eight years of serving there and seeing lots of people. Point being, you will be environments, in environments where you don't wanna share. And my encouragement to you is to decide now that is exactly when you will share. You guys want to say yes to that? I think that's part of what, I I, I don't think I know, is this part of what Jesus has told us to do. Reading on in verse 12, it gets really intense here. Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. That sounds like the height of the birth pains to me. I mean, Families ripped apart, killing each other, hate. He says something right at the end there. The one who stands firm to the end will be saved. So number four in our huddle this morning, we don't quit. We stand firm to the end. You know, experts say that in the year 2000, just that one year, there were 165,000 Christians that were martyred for their faith around the world. And they also say that over the last 2,000 years, since Jesus walked the earth, over 43 million followers of Jesus have been martyred for their faith. And it does make me ask myself, what kind of stand am I taking for Jesus?
This is another pre-decision. It says, if everyone else stops, I'm going to keep following Jesus. If the pressure becomes too great at work, I'm going to keep following Jesus. If, if something changes in our country and the pressure is too great on a pastor, I'm going to keep following Jesus, right? I have friends serving in places around the country literally right now whose families are under threat of death because they're fathers of Jesus. So we can't be ignorant to the fact that we need to learn to endure and arm ourselves based on Ephesians 6, wear the full armor of God. And I say arm ourselves in a spiritual sense. I'm not saying anything bad about physically arming yourself, but, but we, we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the heavenly realms. So leading to verse 32, and we'll finish here. But about that day or hour, no one knows. How many people know? Oh, wait, hold on. I didn't hear you. How many people know? Wait, wait, wait. I'm still confused. Someone told me that they know. How many people know? Okay, no one knows. Could it be more clear? Every generation has people saying, I know. 88 reasons why Jesus is going to come back in 1988. Anybody remember that book? It came and went pretty fast. That was a long time ago. Jesus did not return. I think if someone is claiming that strongly, they know something exact like that. It's a good per- it's a person that I might just shy away from because they likely will deceive me if I submit myself to the teaching. Personally, that's my approach. It says, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father knows. Be on guard, be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Imagine a one-word command from Jesus was an exclamation point, watch. That's what he says to us in our huddle. So number five is this, we don't get distracted. We watch and pray. I don't know if you guys have realized this, but your attention is a commodity. There are companies all around the world right now spending millions and millions, millions of dollars trying to figure out how to monopolize your attention, how to get it, how to keep it. Companies are fighting for it. And I just wanna tell you this, your attention is precious. What you look at, what you focus on, what you make your life about. And it's like Jesus is telling us, hey, let your attention be fixed on me. Let your attention be fixed on this future. Let your attention be fixed on the needs of the world, the need to share the gospel. It's like he's saying, don't get distracted from the imminence of the return of Jesus. Don't get distracted. This is why fasting is so powerful. We're gonna fast 21 days starting January 1 to January 21st. Some sort of fast. We encourage everyone to participate. When you fast, especially something that, that is tough, that costs you, whether it's food or, or, you know, there's a lot of different things, but especially when you really fast Fast food, that sounds funny. Not fast food, no fast food. When you fast food and, and lean into prayer, there's a real, almost like secret power in it that it focuses your attention. Have you noticed that? It just wraps your attention back into the Lord. It, your body gets weaker, your spirit gets stronger. So I'd encourage you to participate in that. And as the worship team comes up, I wanna ask you this. If when we think about the imminent return of Christ, you feel scared, I wanna invite you to find rest in the gospel this morning. If when we think about the imminent return of Christ or perhaps your death, whatever would come first, if you feel fear and anxiety or even terror, 
I want to invite you to find rest and peace in the gospel today. We are unfinished people resting in the finished work of Christ. I believe followers of Jesus should have zero terror or spirit of fear when it comes to the return of Christ. We should have abounding joy and longing expectation. I do believe part of coming with that is, is reverential fear. Scripture talks a lot about the fear of God. We're gonna study the whole book of Proverbs next year, and we're gonna talk a lot about how the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's different than a spirit of fear. It's not like fear that drives you away. It's, it's fear that draws you to him, but on your knees in reverence, right? So we wanna have that kind of fear of the Lord when it comes to his return. But anything else, he doesn't want that for you. He wants you to be excited for the day. He wants you to be inviting others along. So let's just, let's bow our hearts, close our eyes. And I just invite you to ask the Lord right now, Lord, what are you saying to me? And what are you calling me to do about that? Perhaps you have felt deceived. Lord, we declare we will walk in truth. Perhaps you've really been stuck in a spirit of fear. You're, you're kind of on the doom scroll cycle of your phone or the news. And you just need to build some separation. You need to fill yourself with God's word. You need to just take care of some people, love some people, serve in the body of Christ. You just need to find some ways to get off of screens and get out of the terror in your mind. If that's you, just say, Lord, I don't want to walk in fear. I want to walk in faith because I know how the story ends. Or maybe you've just been quiet. You forgot that you are called to preach the gospel. You've been afraid of people in the culture disowning you. Maybe you've been afraid of what it will cost you. And Jesus is clear with us. It does cost you. But it's the greatest price to pay. He went before us. It cost him everything. He's bared the weight of that cost. So it will cost us. But let me tell you, if we love people, Let's fear more their future destination than we fear their judgment now, right? So Lord, teach us to preach the gospel with all nations. Maybe you've been tempted to quit. Maybe you've already quit internally. I've been there before too. Jesus says he wants you to stand firm to the end and it's possible. He'll empower you by his spirit. Or maybe you've just been so distracted. You've been entertaining yourself to death or you're just keeping so busy with a million things because you're almost afraid to look at the reality of what's in you, what's in the world. And, and God says he wants you to watch and pray for him intentionally. And for anyone here that doesn't know Jesus, I invite you just to say, Jesus, I want to know you. I confess you as Savior and Lord. Scripture says every tongue will confess and every knee will bow that Jesus is Lord. So what we're doing is we're saying we don't want to wait until everyone has to do it. We want to do it right now and get to know you. We confess you as Savior. We need you. I'm a sinner. I have fallen short. I thank you for forgiveness. We confess you as Lord, meaning you are the ruler of my life. You are on the throne of my life for the rest of my days. And whatever you sense God calling you to repent of, repent. Change the way you think. Walk the other way. But it's in the context of this free gift of salvation, fields of grace and mercy. Let's sing while you're seated there just this simple chorus. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. He's the one who's going to return. The king is coming. Let's sing it out, church. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing can stand against. What a beautiful name it is. 
let's sing that again. What a beautiful name. Sing it, church. Beautiful name. What a beautiful name. Sorry. It is. What a beautiful name. It is. Sing it out, church. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. Can we sing what a wonderful what a name? continue to sing that in just a few moments, but I'm going to share a few upcoming things. I'm going to have our ushers come forward, and I'm going to share a piece of important vision. Just bear with me for a few more minutes. If you could grab your welcome card, it looks like this. It's a half page. Just put it in your hand real quick. On the back side of it, it has a few upcoming events. Next weekend is a big weekend. Can you say big weekend? On Friday night, we have Reclaiming the Season at 630. The URL right there is right there to register. This is for all women, not just moms. It's even for young women, teenagers. This is an event where it's going to be a beautiful catered dinner right here in the sanctuary. It raises funds for our Mom Life ministry. Then that Sunday, we start a new series one week from today on uh, the blessings of God through the birth of the Savior. So excited for that. That Sunday after second service, we have Newcomers Connect. If you're new or if you're newish here, and I'm telling you, connecting with the body is one of the most important things to do in end times days. It just is. Connect with people that are gonna come alongside you, help you walk in truth and in love and remain. Nothing strengthens us like being with the body. Newcomers Connect is designed for that, to help you connect. Use that QR code, it's after our second service. Best way to learn more about us and get connected as part of the family. And then that night, we have our Graceland Youth Christmas Party. It'll be our last youth event for the whole year. We'll kick it back off in January. I'm so excited for what God is doing at Graceland Youth. It's going to be a fun night. The week after that on Friday, December 8th, Team Appreciation Christmas Dinner. For anyone that serves here, even if you just sign up today, we're going to cater a beautiful dinner. This is a free event. We serve you. No one lifts a finger except for our staff. We want to say thank you for all those who serve week in and week out. I hope you'll register right there at the URL. My wife has some really funny songs planned. Um, I'll just give you a a, a two-word clue. No, no, no clue. Never mind. My wife just shushed me hardcore. She shushed me hard. You're going to have to come to find out. Christmas Eve services, Sunday, December 24th. Christmas Eve is a Sunday, so no morning services, just two Christmas Eve services, 3.30 p.m., 5 p.m. Great services to invite friends and family to. I'm going to share the gospel. It'll be a Christmas message. We'll sing carols. We'll worship. We'll do candlelight. We have child care for littles. Elementaries will be in here. These services are some... Services are some of my favorite of the year. Giving options are on screen for those that give. Our ushers are going to pass these baskets in a moment. Much of our church gives online. And I'm going to pray over everything that comes in this week or the coming week. And then I have a bit of vision to share. Then we'll be dismissed. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for these tithes, these offerings. Bless them today to the furtherance of your kingdom. And give us wisdom as a church, also as individuals, to steward our resources, understanding we're living in end times understanding you've called us to steward it for the sake of your kingdom. And we give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen.
You guys can go ahead and pass those while I talk to you all for one more moment. Every year, we prayerfully seek God about something we call a Christmas offering, and we're not gonna collect anything today, but I wanna share a vision with you about it today, and it's gonna come with some really specific updates about our land and things next year, so just pay attention for a few more minutes, then I'll pray a benediction over us. But this is very, very exciting. The Christmas offering is an opportunity to give our best gift to the Lord, build momentum into our next year as a church, profoundly help people in need, and invest into the land of grace that we believe will reach generations to come. Last year, our church gave $100,000 in this offering. Uh, miraculous. You know, we're not a very large church, but God has just been faithful. We've had some friends of the church participate with those as well. We, have, we always have brand new people showing up around the time of Christmas offering that end up being a part of it and get so blessed by being a part of it. So let me just share um, these four initiatives. And as I share them, I'll give some highlights of what last year's offering did as well. So the first initiative this year is debt reduction on our land. Now, let me celebrate with you. With last year's offering, we completely paid off all the debt on our building and the land right about our building. Isn't that amazing? All of it paid off. In fact, you see that fire in my hand? That was our mortgage burning. That was in January of this year. And amazingly, we had almost the same worship team on stage during that. That was a, a prayer and worship night where we celebrated. So we give God thanks for that. So our last remaining debt on this property when it comes to building or land or all of the above is only $950,000. I know that's a lot of money, but we have 135 acres of land here in the Franklin area that God has called us to steward and build a land of grace on. And we believe we must, with passion and with vigor and with faith, eradicate the entirety of this debt. We must do that. We will get free of the mortgage payment. We'll get free of the interest. The offering this year, unless someone gives so far above and beyond what we're asking, will not finish it. But I really feel, I feel stirred to approach it with faith that God's gonna give us some partners, whether in our church or friends of our church, that are gonna pay off significant amounts of that $950,000 this year. And perhaps even in this Christmas offering, like way beyond even what we're asking for the entirety of the offering. So if that's you, I just pray that, that you'll step, up, step into that in faith. And I have a number of people around the country that, that tend to walk with me financially and that just God has connected our hearts in partnership. And I'm just praying that God does a miracle because once we get that done, it opens up a, a whole new world of how we can move forward. Our second initiative this year is Benevolence and Recovery Fund. I'm sorry, second is our Next Generation Fund. We thank God for what he's doing in our Graceland youth and our Graceland kids. In the last five years, we've gone from a handful of students to over 130 students in our church. That's 12th grade and under. Many of them have put their faith in Jesus, been baptized in water, filled with the Holy Spirit, received a passionate vision for their life. This is all built upon, and I don't mean to overly call them out, but the faith and the vision and the obedience and the sacrifice of our pastor emeritus and his wife, Pastor Duncan and Miss Diane. And some of those original members are still here today. Randy Mace has been here, a part of this vision, and sacrificially giving and serving for how many years? 23 years, since it was founded. The fruit that we're seeing in our kids and youth ministry is based on their faith, their obedience, and we're standing on their shoulders. Look at these pictures from youth convention. That's about half of our youth right now that we were just there on Tuesday and Wednesday at Opryland. Um, next slide. 
This is with thousands of other students from around Tennessee in one of their big meeting areas, just passionately pursuing the Lord. That's one of my daughters in the middle there and a few of your kids on both sides. For some of the services, we got all the way up to the front. The culture of this Tennessee youth ministry is such that when they open the doors um, to get into the room, it's like, a, it's like a concert. Kids are rushing to get to the front. And we had people go in ahead of us and, and save seats so that we can be up towards the front, towards some of the end services. And God's just doing amazing things in the lives of our students. And here's the thing, we sense God leading us to strengthen our student ministry by investing into more opportunities for students, resources, meeting spaces, and leadership. So it's part of this offering. And then our third initiative, I might've got the order wrong. You can go back to the Benevolence and the Recovery Fund. This is technically our second. They're, they're not in any particular order. We believe the church is the hands and feet of Jesus. God's called us to bring hope to the hurting, food to the hungry, freedom to the captives. And we wanna tangibly meet needs. So this fund every year helps us pay for food to help those in need, groceries, um, counseling, um, gas, uh, sending lifelines to people that are trapped in addictions. It's amazing what God does every year through this offering, it empowers us to make a tangible difference in people's lives. So it'll set us up for 2024. And then our fourth initiative is the Land of Grace. This is our expansion and development fund. I wanna show you what we did through last year's offering. A lot of you guys have been asking me, so I'm gonna show you a few even specifics. Behind the scenes, we've had a lot of progress, progress securing things like the regulatory constraint analysis, uh, an updated soil analysis, updated slope analysis, fresh schematic design work so that we can figure out our options. We've hired, if you can put, this is not our, our church facility design, but this is the company, the architectural firm that we've hired, Bauer Askew, I love their work. This is Refuge Counseling Center right in here in Franklin that they just designed. They do things very classy and with great excellence. And that's our designer, next slide. Um, you can see here the full area of our property. This is a slope analysis that they did. This is Interstate 65 right here. This is the intersection with 840 right here. This is Lewisburg Pike. So this is where our church that we're sitting in right now is. And then it connects through our back driveway into the full land here. And it's a half a mile of highway frontage up 65. So Dave Ramsey's campus is up there just to give you uh, a set of... Uh, kind of a bearing. So we, we envision all kinds of ministry on this land of grace for the good of the city, including the facilitating the church growth, facilitating the church growth, but also uh, means of income and perpetuity, means to bless the city. I mean, it's going to be uh, really incredible. Next slide. I'll go through these quick. Um, just, you can see lots of different schematics they did. Next slide. Next slide. Um, the, the soil testing. We've kind of covered our bases. So pray with us that we get approved to connect into the city sewer from Stream Valley. So we're working that relationship. Pray in faith that that gets approved on both the Franklin and Thompson Station side. That would be a game changer for us when that happens. We also, just to cover our bases, did a full fresh soil testing of the entire property to figure out how we could uh, take care of our own septic if we needed to. This is the regulatory constraints analysis. Um, and next slide, I think that's our last one. Okay, stay there, yeah. So isn't that all, all of that, plus hiring our architectural team, our project management, civil engineers, and now we're getting the final piece in order with signing with a, a key developer. Let's give thanks to God for all that progress because it was all funded by la the, mo the majority of it. Actually, last year's Christmas offering didn't fund all of that, but it funded 
a lot of it. We're also just using some out of budget. Also, last year we sent a team to Rio Lagartos, Mexico, and we funded and built a church for them there, a little town fishing village that's never had a church. We built it and they got hurt by a hurricane recently. And so I felt impressed to make part of this um, Christmas offering when it comes to the land of grace helping our Graceland Church campus in Rio Lagartos as well. So check this out. This is the progress. We built this last year. Next slide. It's right next to this swamp with alligators in it. And look, they've started holding services. Check this out. Here's the people of Rio Lagartos in the building that we built, packing it out. Isn't that awesome? That's Bill Craver right there on the left who we partner with. We're going again in 2024, but that'll be part of this offering as well. Our goal is $135,000 which is a miracle number for us. The only way we reach that is if our whole church family and friends of our church participate and even give sacrificially. Now, I'm also praying with that number 950,000 in mind because I'm praying that God will help us eradicate that uh, much sooner than later. What we're really asking you to do is pray about it. The offering is technically open now because it's online, so you can give at any time. There's a link right on our homepage, gracelandchurch.com, but we're gonna officially collect it if you'd like to give in person on Sundays, December 10th and 17th, and it will be open all the way through January 7th. You can give online, check, cash, however you'd like to. To receive giving credit for this year, of course, you have to give by December 31st before midnight. We have no wiggle room there. And this is kind of a, a funny thing I always need to clarify because people have asked me, hey, Nathan, would it be helpful if I just gave all of my normal December giving to the Christmas offering? And I'm like, no. Like if you just take whatever you were gonna give normally in your tithes and offerings and kind of pretend that's the Christmas offering, it actually kind of hurts us because it messes up our budget for, for December. Anybody with me? Like we actually have to end the year strong in our budget too. So this is designed to be above and beyond. Now, if you've never given to a church ever, you're super skeptical, I get it. I'm telling you, we are a highly accountable, highly transparent organization. We believe in that. Uh, there is no need to give to anything else before you give to this if you feel so impressed to give to this. So I thank you guys in advance for prayerfully uh, considering. Let's stand together. We're gonna sing the bridge of this and then what a powerful name it is. And then I'm gonna close this with a benediction. Let's sing it out. May God rejoice over you with gladness. May Christ Jesus renew you in his love. And may the Holy Spirit give you peace beyond understanding to guard your hearts and minds in Christ. We go in peace to love and serve the Lord in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Love you guys very much. Have a great rest of your day. See you soon. <laughs>